Hey, 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 what's going on? Welcome back for giving AF podcast. Remember, this is a second chance podcast that we use as uh, marketing material for our mentorship program, Second Chance Mentors. Uh, today was really cool. Actually, I picked up five of the boys. Uh, we went to Connections Shoe Store, which is off a of sublet in Matlock here in Arlington, and, uh, and they got to get their shoes. So that's always my favorite part of the program is uh, blessing these kids with the shoes. But we don't just give them away. They actually have to earn them, you know, so, so it was cool. They had to do their uh, community service hours. They had to be doing better in all their classes, passing their classes. And if they have a class that they're struggling in, we don't like necessarily say you're out. You know what I mean? But they need to show us that they're putting effort into it. Um, they have to have do short-term, long-term goals with a mentor. And they have to have a sit-down meeting once a month where they just kind of like chop it up with their mentor and make sure that they're like staying on track. So that's like a pretty cool thing. Um, thank you to our sponsors and people that uh, helped us out with that. So that was really cool because uh, we couldn't do that without you guys. Trying to fund this by ourselves is just not possible. So um, one thing that I always forget to ask, but it's really important. If you guys could, if you get any value of this whatsoever, if you could just, whether you're on Spotify or you're either on Apple or whatever, uh, YouTube, wherever you're watching this, if you guys could just leave us a comment or maybe a review, just kind of put give us a review. Hopefully it's five stars, but it's not. You can be honest with it. Um, and I don't mean to sound like I'm begging for it, but it can just help push this out to, to more people. So uh, thank you for that. And um, I think that's it. Our church, uh, Life Church Mansfield, is allowing us to set up a booth in the lobby this week, which is going to be a really cool thing. So we're going to have like kind of what we do on some pamphlets to be able to pass it out to people to try to bring in some more mentors and, and some more support. So um, really thankful that the church is allowing us that opportunity to do that. Um, and I think that's all the rambling I got for the mentorship program. Um, man, I'm really excited about our guest. I've actually been trying to uh, get him in here at least four or five months. I've been um, trying to do this, trying to get it together. And just um, his name is Dre Harris. I think that we have kind of similar backgrounds where I know we have similar backgrounds. And I'm excited for him to kind of like pour into it. And, uh, and the stuff he's doing now is incredible. So just wait till you listen to the transformation that he's made. Uh, and hopefully anybody who's kind of going through that or confused of how to make those changes, hopefully you can get something out of this to kind of figure out. So first of all, Dre, thank you for being here, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man, I appreciate it, bro. This is this is dope. I love it. Love what you're doing. Thank Definitely you. with the mentorship. That's something that's always been on my heart. So it's dope to see people out here really doing it. That's cool. Thanks, man. Thank you for saying that. Um, let's just get right into it, man. Um Kind of the first question I normally ask everyone is just kind of give us a quick rundown of like where you're from, how you grew up, you know, what sort of lifestyle, you know, it was as far as family and everything like that. Yeah. Yeah, man. So I'm from Portland, Oregon, uh, born and raised, um, 34 years old, um, grew up in a single mom household. Uh, it was just my mom and four, four of us, uh, four siblings. Um, so grew up without a father, um, so that kind of left the, you know, you know, those yeah. dynamics, man, it just left it where it was like a gap missing, even in identity. When I think about just like as a kid, not really knowing who I am fully because I didn't have a father in my life to actually like direct me. And yeah. Either even 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 just like a a positive role model or anybody to kind of like speak identity into me. That's so, good. so I think as a kid, I was like. I had a lot of questions about stuff that I, I had to try to figure out. I was I think I was always searching for something, trying yeah. to find my identity in something. Yeah. And it just bounced around to a bunch of different things, which ended up leading to some yeah. trouble, you know. Yeah, but for yeah, sure. That's kind of the dynamic. That, that makes sense. Can I ask you a couple questions real quick? Yeah. That, off of that, um, so Steve Harvey, I heard him say not that long ago, is that every boy has a hole inside of them, the shape of their father. Yeah. Um. And if the father's not there to actually fill that hole, they're going to keep finding other things to fit in that hole. And I feel like that lines up exactly with what you were saying about kind of bouncing around. And yeah. um, so was it hard for you, like growing up watching your mom? Like, did your mom struggle trying to I mean, because it's got to be hard taking care of four kids by yourself. Yeah, man. She So she struggled. But I feel like my mom worked so much yeah. that like she wasn't she was there, but she wasn't around sometimes. So a lot of the time it was us kind of raising ourselves, you know, there was stuff that we just did. We would be out late, you know, she's working. So it's just like that dynamic where, so she wasn't really in control. Too yeah. Much. It's so funny you said that. Cause that's one of the things when I talk about the boys in our mentorship program, that's how I describe what a lot of these boys have going on is they're being raised by a single mother who's working two, three jobs, busting her butt, yeah. 
like she deserves respect and like a round of applause you know what i mean um just to pay the bills on the rent like the bills and rent on their apartment and then the kids just got all this free time to run around and do what they want you know what i mean and that's kind of it's exactly what you just said for sure yeah and that's and it's really common so that's kind of why we try to step in and see what we can do to kind of fill that gap but it's still tough when did you start getting in trouble Honestly, so I, I think I, I feel like I was in trouble my whole life. Like, really? It really feels like from elementary school um, on. I think the first time I was ever put in the back of a police car, I was like five years old. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I remember it, too. I kicked down a fence in the neighborhood and they came in and hemmed me up. And <laughs> yeah, so, that's tough. Yeah. But so I, I think I was I was constantly in trouble. But I'll say when it's crazy. When I first like really started getting into like really deep trouble, yeah, um, I had reached out to my father, trying to make a connection. My mom had finally told me who he was, so I reached out to him trying to make a connection and talk. Had a conversation with him, and two days later, he was saying that, "Oh yeah, we're gonna meet up." And I had never like met him. I think I was in the fourth or fifth grade at this point. Yeah. Never met him before. Um, and he was supposed to meet up with me. It was like during the week on school week, we were supposed to meet up on Friday, call him on Friday. And the number got disconnected. Literally. Uh, that just made my stomach hurt, bro. Just disconnected. So I'm like, I remember two weeks in a row calling it every day after, after school, oh, man. every day, calling the phone, calling the phone. Eh, this number has been disconnected. And, Ended up, you know, that just kind of led to like this anger yeah. inside of me. Just like I was, I was getting it. I probably got in the fight that week. That whole know, effort it, mentality. It, it, just, bro, it just like it, it kicked me because it was just like that feeling of not being wanted. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, yeah. and by somebody that you had desired your whole life, and you always had these questions, and you finally build up the courage to ask your mom about it, and then it's like she was like, "I'm not gonna keep him from you," but. This is what you. This is the reality of what you got to deal with, you know. So I think that's when I I really started getting in trouble. That's when I just I was rebelling just to rebel. Yeah. Like it was just it didn't matter what it was. It was like whatever. Bro, that breaks my heart. Like yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry that you had to deal with that. Yeah, like nah, it's tough. That is definitely tough. Um, has there been any like rekindling of that relationship since then? <sighs> Man, that's a crazy. That's a crazy conversation that I haven't really spoken about yet. Um, so no, no, nah, there hasn't. Um, have you tried? So okay, do you want to get into that? It's a it's a lot though. <laughs> that is a whole different. So basically, okay. So basically, to last year, I found out the whole time who I thought was my dad is not my dad through through ancestry dot com. Wow, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's basically a whole. I found out. My mom ended up telling me like. So you found out and then asked her about it? No, no, it? no. She she ended up telling me last early last year that she that she had questions that she didn't know for sure if the person was my dad or not. Um, and then she was like, "I want to do an ancestry thing for you." And so she did it. And the person who she thought was like the potential yeah. to be my dad, I connected with all of his family. And so that was like a a thing. And then found out he died in 2016. Oh man. So it was like, bro, this, it was, it was, it was a lot. It was a lot. That would be really tough. I almost, was there a sense, a little sense of a peace about it though, as far as like, at least it wasn't the same dude that blew you off. Yeah, yeah, it was. So, so the the other thing is the, the guy who blew me off molested my older sister when when I was younger. And you hadn't known that, right? I I didn't know that. Right. So when I found that out, I, I knew at this point, but when I found that out, there was the relief of like I'm not tied oh, to somebody that's like good. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think what it, what it, where I got shook up at is that I grew up with all of this anger and bitterness and hatred towards a father, towards yeah. this person who I thought was my dad. Yeah. Then to grow up, figure out that that's not my dad, figure out the person who's actually my dad didn't know that I was his son, and then he's dead. So I have nowhere to direct this anger. at. So that's hard. You know what I mean? That's really hard, and I, I don't even know how you would process that. But there's some part in it that kind of feels almost like a little bit more peaceful than being the guy who blew you off. And then, you know, you already had that negativity about him. Yeah. Because maybe you could have had an amazing relationship if he would have known, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. No, there's definitely a relief, but it's still like, I can't imagine how much that hurts. Like, man, like I, I think it shook up 
it shook up a lot in me. It did. That's definitely hard. Bro. It just was like identity stuff because it's like you get to a point. I had processed through all of this stuff in therapy before, yeah. like about my father wound. So I got to a place where I was at peace with it, where I was like settled in it. And then in my thirty three years old, and it gets just brings completely up switched all up. the way. And now I got to reprocess yeah. all of this stuff and deal with it. Um, and it, I think it just. I think I, one of the things I realized, man, is that in my life with the Lord, I've everything that I've placed my identity in outside of him mm. has had to be surrendered. Come on. Has had to get broken up. Like I, there was nothing that I could like hold on to around my identity outside of Christ. That's so so being a, a, a kid that has been abandoned, like I can't hold on to that story no more. Yeah, you know, like inside of Christ, I just can't. Yeah, and, and he just like removed everything that was was like a grab a uh, grip on me, even just record felonies. And so good. All being a criminal, all of these things, like all everything that I placed my identity around, had to be surrendered. Bro, I'm learning right to. now. That's so good, man. Yeah. Because. And it's, it takes away also a lot of people you see come up with their, who they are as a person or who, what their identity is, is like sometimes comes from like a woe is me type. Oh man, you don't understand. I've been through this, but really when they're claiming that as their identity, and this is what you just said, but I'm just putting it in different words. They're taking their identity away from their, their, it being God, yeah. their identity with Jesus. Yeah, man. That's who their, your identity has to be. Real. God, that's so freaking nothing, good. Because, because the reality is, is that nothing else is. Nothing else is really of value. Yeah, no. Any identity that you place yourself in outside of Christ is like fleeting. It's, it's fleeting. Yeah. All of it's fleeting. Like you can't boast in none of that. We can't boast in our race. <laughs> That's so good. We can't boast in any of our financial status. None of those things we can actually boast in. Because it can all be taken away in a second. And none of it is real. Man, what uh what would be your piece of advice? And I know I'm just throwing this on you. Uh, to any sort of, you know, young man or young woman, it could be a girl too, who uh, is in the, kind of growing up in that same situation, maybe not having a relationship with their dad or um, do you have anything with that? Yeah, I mean, I would say, I would say that. You kind of already that, hit on it. Yeah, but I would say that it doesn't define you. That's good. Like, Like, I think I spent so much of my life like thinking about it and like feeling like I was defined by the fact that I didn't have a, I, I remember being in, in elementary school and them having father's day. Mm. And you know, that's a thing that they actually, Oh, let's make stuff for our dads. And I yeah. remember sitting in class every time it used to hit me. God, that makes me. Me cry, and it really like, man, it left, it, it hurt me. But I think, if I can look back and I, I can encourage that young boy that was in that thing, it's like it doesn't define me. That doesn't make me who who I thought I was. I felt like I was missing something. And there's a reality that there is a gap missing. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like it doesn't define my character. It doesn't define me. It doesn't hold me back from it can't I can I can make it so it doesn't hold me back. So that hole that they said that Steve Harvey said, uh, in the shape of their dad, yeah, can only be filled by one thing and that's God, right? That's it. So that's kind of where the, where the way you would have to flip that. Yeah, and then the reality is that you can have a father in your life and still miss that gap. Yeah. And still not have that full, that fully filled, right? There are some people that have a dad in their life that are probably better off without a dad in their life. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's there's a lot of kids going through it that have their family there. Yeah. So that's, man, that's really good. All right, now we got to go back to, so we're, <laughs> we're starting to get in trouble, right? You're, yeah. you're, you're wilding out because, you know, you have that anger inside of you from the, your dad's situation and uh, uh, what? How did? What was like your first like couple of times of getting in trouble where you actually had to like repercussions from it? First, I mean, I so I got kicked out of like almost every school that I went to, um, elementary schools. I got my mom kicked out of our apartment complex for fighting multiple times. Um, yeah, it would be stuff like that. It was always fighting. Yeah, it was always fighting. I, I fighting and stealing. Those were the two things that I would shoplift, get caught at the store, stealing stuff. Like the crazy that. thing is meeting you now and like following you and like at, like the, you don't that doesn't you know what I'm saying? Like that's Christ, bro. I mean, I'm not saying that you couldn't like you. You're tough. You're big yeah, dude. No. But I'm saying like I, you're so so like yeah. it is Jesus. That's, that's Christ, what it bro. is, bro. Because you seem so genuine and loving. Yeah, he changes your countenance. <laughs> that's so sure. good. Yeah, man. Yeah. So my first like my first actual my first robbery. 11 years old we robbed a bike store for like 60 bikes 
<laughs> like just kids, young kids, seen a bike store, was like, man, we want to get some bikes. We broke into it, robbed the bike store, pulled all these bikes into the alley, got actually jacked for the bikes by some older guys <laughs> in the neighborhood. And we were all pissed off because we put in all this work <laughs> to steal these bikes and end up getting caught up. And they so stole the bikes from, stole them from us. They, we had all these bikes in the alley. And then, like, 15 guys walk up, and they're, oh, where y'all get these? And just took all our bikes. We were, we were <laughs> crying. They, they took all the good ones. They, they took literally all the they good ones. They left you, like, the banana seat yeah, bike and yeah. stuff? No, we couldn't get So there was one bike I remember, man. There was a bike, the two-seater bike that was up on the wall that we wanted so bad, but we were so little that we couldn't reach it. So we just, like, had to leave the bike <laughs> leave the bike up on the wall. But, yeah, that's, that we started, man, young, just, like, running around. I feel like I think about that. I'm like, man, I, that was like we, we went back to the store at 10 o'clock to break in at 11 years old yeah, on a like, weekend. Like, being out at 10 o'clock in the yeah, hood. Yeah, that sounds crazy. In the middle of the hood. That's crazy to be able to do that yeah. at, at 10 o'clock. Yeah, so just running around, man, just getting into all kind of trouble. And then when when's uh You've been. You said you've been, and I don't mean to just jump right to it, but you've been incarcerated twice, right? Yeah. Oh, I've been. I've done two bids. Yeah. I've been in jail a couple times, and then in in the penitentiary. What was uh? What were your the first time you got in trouble? Where you actually had to do time? So the first time that I, I got in trouble was for um, it's for delivery and possession of a controlled substance, and then I had a firearm. Okay. Um. So I got caught with some crack and. It really wasn't even I was I was I was freshly 18 the first time I I got caught up and it really wasn't even me pushing crack at that at that time. I started selling dope afterwards. Yeah. But at that time I actually had bought it for a friend. So I had a I had a little homie that was from my hood that um was going through a tough time. He was trying to figure out his you know path. He kept hitting me up every day for money. And I was, at this point, I was already like homeless, living by living couch to couch, yeah. bouncing around, and basically had had been providing for him financially. I was like, bro, you gotta get your own money. I can't keep giving this. So I went and bought the crack for him, so he could sell it, so he could yeah. sell it and come up. And then I ended up getting into it with some guys that um, some gang stuff and tried to shoot somebody, and the gun jammed and. All this stuff happened and ended up getting caught on the corner waiting for some people to come pick me that up. That was probably God, too, that that Oh, it was jam. God. It was definitely God, man. Yeah, sure. Have, have that on your conscience, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, and then, uh, so you end up getting caught up that time? Yeah, I got caught. Did they actually hit you with any sort of attempted murder? Did they not know what happened? No, with they didn't know what happened. That's they good. Know what happened, which was a blessing. So that was, so then you get out from that one. Yeah. Did you have to do time behind that? I did, I think I did eight months. Oh, so that was serious, yeah. Yeah, it was, a, it was my first charge, but it was um, it just basically waiting for trial in county. Yeah, so, yeah. so and then you, so while you're in on that, are you thinking to yourself, I can't wait to get out and do right? Or are you thinking to yourself, like, you you learning the ways of prison, like, uh, you know? Yeah, I wasn't yeah. care. I didn't care. It was like, I'll do this on my head. Because at that point, I knew all most of my friends had already been to the penitentiary yeah. or jail or county or something. I knew a bunch of people in there. So it was like a family reunion almost going up in there and just seeing sense. people I know. And it's just like, yeah, this is nothing. And it's not like that much time. So at this point, have you are, had you had a relationship with the Lord at this point? Nah. So not even not at, all? at all? Not at all. My grandma used to talk about him, but that's about it. Yeah. yeah. So then, so you get out. And you continue just being a knucklehead kind of? So I, I get out and, yeah, I literally get out and just continue. I did. My grandma ended up, once once I got officially charged, because they let me out on pretrial release after yeah. after a certain amount, amount of time. Once I got officially charged, they gave me time served. And then I moved in with my grandparents for about seven months. And, like, one of the stipulations was I had to go to church. So that was kind of like from your grandmother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In order to live with her, so I was I was staying there and um, was doing pretty good. I mean, I still was like, yeah. I still was doing my thing, but I was like doing better than I had been. Um, then one of my friends got got killed, and that kind of like shifted it and ended up started messing up again. And my grandma kicked me out and just was right back to the streets. Yeah. Do you think that your grandmother forcing you to go to jail? I mean, forcing you to go to um, church, do you think there was any seeds planted there? Or was it more of like the, you feel, okay? Yeah, I feel like 
I feel like it created a familiarity with God's voice. That's good. Like just like being able to see certain things and distinguish certain things. Yeah, because sometimes I feel like people get discouraged when they try to get, you know, they're kind of forcing, you know, someone to go to church and the person doesn't seem like they're fully getting it. Um, I think so there's just some kind of like motivation there that like, hey, maybe you're just planting the seed by, you know, inviting that young man or young person to come to church. Yeah, even just a level of comfortability with like the things of church. Yeah. Like prayer and worship. Like at that point, you know, I, they already knew what I was about. So they're all praying for me during service. So I'm yeah. just like standing there like, all right, I don't really know what y'all doing, but I'm going to listen to it, you know? Yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's cool. All right. So then you, uh, how you get in Are you still in Oregon? Yeah. So let me, let me rewind a little bit. Okay. So when I, because I think one of the one of the big parts of my story is um, when I when I was 16, my mom left. So I, I had already been no father in my life. When I was 16 years old, my mom left and moved out here to Dallas. Okay. And she left me at my aunt's house who was a drug addict, strung out, just like it wasn't terrible, but it like it was it was pretty bad. Yeah. Um, so I, I spent a lot of time in that in that short amount of time of like I think the first like three months like literally starving, bro. Like literally eating top ramen noodles, like stealing change out of her dirty clothes, like just like it was it was a struggle. I lost like forty pounds over the summer, just like really struggling. Um, and my mom just like she dipped, you know, left me there. So it was like I had a roof over my head, but no other structure. Yeah. So I started going. So that was my junior. That was my sophomore year. Going into my junior year that summer, that summer. So I ended up going back to school, going to high school. But it was like all on me. I didn't have any structure. I didn't have to go to school. But part of the reason why I went to school is because I needed to eat. Like yeah. It was literally like if I don't go to school, like I'm not about to eat any food today. That's crazy. So I started going to school. And then one of my one of my older homeboys put me on with a bunch of drugs. He gave me some. He, I think he gave me like a zip of weed, yeah. and I just started selling weed. And from that moment, I was like, I was good as far as financially. I yeah. didn't have to like starve anymore. Um, so then, when I turned seventeen, one of my best friends got killed. Um, he was fourteen years old. It's one of my like close friends from the same hood as me. Um, so I, I had already been gang banging and all this stuff by. 15 I'm already like a part of a gang yeah. doing all of that but so once he got killed that was when I really like dived into gangbanging like prior to that I wasn't really like it was like claiming it it was like throwing up you know the fingers and saying yeah. I'm from this and that but it wasn't like any beef like I didn't have any problems with anybody but once he got killed that's when it like turned into some Oh, because he was killed by, like, a rival gang? Yeah, yeah, he was killed by somebody. Do you feel like you were more uh, likely to join that gang because you, like, because of the camaraderie in the family, like, dynamic of it? Yeah, like, the, the, the yeah, for sure. Like, not having a father in your life, but then you got big homies that yeah, are grown men that are, are popular, that are, you know, doing whatever. It's yeah. like, you look up to those. Yeah, you that's what, I could see how that would be easily influenced yeah. at that point. Yeah. So, um... So then we roll into so that's what you're doing, and then you roll into the the aspect of getting in trouble with the little bit of hard that you got for your boy. Yeah, you go to you go to jail. You get out. You live with your grandmother. Yeah, you going to church. Someone else dies. Yeah. So you you've been bro, you've been through it. Backslide. Sure, that. Didn't, but man, just that like didn't. all the things that you've been through, like I. Yeah. You know what I mean? That your identity could be so caught up in all that, bro. Yeah, for sure. I feel like that's why you had to do all that work to figure out that like that that's not what it is. Yeah. That's sure. really impressive, bro. Because a lot of men won't go put that work in. Yeah, no, nah, for sure. You know what I mean? Like you didn't you speak on going to counseling and like yeah, kind man, of therapy? I've been, to, in, I've been in therapy for I think five years now. Yeah, yeah. So when did you end up moving to Texas? Did you catch so, your second charge before you came here? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So my second charge. Um, so I'm like at this point once once I left my grandma's and went back. To I went back to the streets, like, yeah. and it was like, you know how scripture says, like when you cast out a demon and then it comes back, it's like ten times stronger. Worse. Yeah, like this was like my life. That was like me spiritually. Like I came back into gangbang and it was just like all in. Like, yeah, it was all in. Like I was like riding around doing skids, shooting. Like it was a constant thing. I was like working my way up the ranks of like being the, one of the leaders of the gang. 
Um, so it was like it was like for real. It got it got to a point where I was like doing a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, so I was I got I was in a position where anybody under twenty eight was under me. And this was when I was like twenty. Wow, like really? Twenty nineteen. Anybody under anybody under twenty eight? Because nobody else had got. I was the first like little homie to be like official from my. Yeah. Everybody else was just like saying they were from the. Because you were putting were, the work in. Yeah, at the, exactly. Yeah. So anybody under twenty eight was under me. We had like it was like twenty of us, and, and it's crazy how God like made this. I can say God life life and and mixed with a little bit of God made all this happen, but like. It went from like being 20 of us to like everyone getting either locked up. A couple people got killed and just all this stuff ended up happening to the point where I was like by myself. Like literally it was like all my homeboys was either in prison, fighting cases or dead. Like it ended up happening like that in a, in a short amount of time. Um, so I'm out by myself and, and one of these dudes that I had been I had been running into it with them. I, we got into back and forth shootouts multiple times. Um, ended up getting in a shootout with him, and that's kind of what ended up taking sending me to prison. So it was a shoot. It was like a shootout yeah, for this. Yeah, time. it was a shootout. Yeah. And how much time did you get on that one? A year and a day. So when you finished that bid, now this is the bid where you just said, "He, you know what? I think I'm going to make some changes." Right. This is the bid where I was locked in. I was doing pretty well. So yeah. what flipped that switch in your mind? Like what? So the day that I got. The day that I had this experience with with um, the shootout, same exact day, right before that shootout, I had an encounter with God. So I'm like on this, I'm sitting at this bus stop, and I see somebody that had killed that I knew was an active enemy that had killed one of my friends. I see them drive by; they're driving towards me, and they see me. We lock eyes with each other. They turn the corner. In front of me, so I go to reach into my backpack to grab my gun, and the Lord said, "If you if you pull out that gun, you're gonna die today." Like literally, like uh, like if you pull out this gun, you're gonna die. Like you almost felt heard it, like like in your mind. I but can't it almost tell audible. if it was audible or if it that. was in my yeah. in my mind. I don't know, but it was like it was. Vis- I yeah. knew what he was saying, and so I was like, "Okay, what do you want me to do?" He said, "Get on your knees and worship me." It's a broad daylight, standing on the street. So I got on my knees. Cried out to the Lord for like a second and got up, looked in the direction where the car turned and they turned that block. So they came back up on the block and came in my direction. And I'm like watching the car drive by and they just don't even look at me. Just look, just keep driving straight. Which back. is not like how anything would normally happen no, in that situation. Because I knew like we we seen we locked yeah. eyes. We seen and they turned people. around and came back. Yeah, and they yeah. turned around and came back. So it was like that was supposed to be something that was supposed to happen. Um, so that happened. He actually, I never shared this part, but he's actually, he actually told me to do it twice in that day. So I ended up, I don't know what I was thinking. I was just like, man, I want to get my life right. Cause I knew that I was wrong. And what he said was scaring me. Yeah. And I'm like, man, I'm about to die. Like the Lord is like, really just spoke to me. So I went to college. I went to a college to Portland community college to try to sign up for classes. I'll never forget this because I was like, I got to get right with Jesus. I'm about to die. So I go to college, I go to the Portland Community College, and while I'm walking up, he said it again, get on your knees and worship me outside of the college. So I went, got on my knees again, and then I ended up going and trying to ask if I can sign up for classes, and it was like middle middle of the, the semester. They were like, no, you can't sign up for classes right now. So I went, I went home, took a nap, woke up. And then was like, man, I'm about to go to the hood. Went to the hood. I had my pistol on my hip at this time. So I get off of the bus at this train station on 122nd in, uh, in Burnside. So I get off of the bus to get onto the train. And when I get off of the bus, the, the guys that I had been actively getting in shootouts with were standing at the bus stop. So they pulled out their guns. I pulled out mine, and it just turned into a, a shootout. And luckily you made it out of that. Yeah. You were by yourself, and they were. I was by myself, and they there weren't. Three of them. Yeah. yeah. So, I, from all the stuff that you've been through, and all the shooting, all the gang stuff, and all the fighting, and I, I mean, I could tell you right now that God had a purpose. Like He was like, "Bro, you, I, you know what I mean?" Yeah. No. And then, like the way He was speaking to you and trying to keep you out of it, like, yeah. so He definitely had a purpose in your life, and I, that's why it's cool to see you walking in it. Yeah. Um, okay, so now we're now, now you're locked up. So I get I, I'm on the run for three months, but then I end up okay. getting, I end up getting locked up for it. 
And so when I go into county, I'm like, I got to get my life right with the Lord. So I'm like locked in, doing Bible studies with other people. Yeah. We had a prayer circle that we started in the in our dorm that was like, that was crazy. It was dope to see. Um, so I, I think I was in county for like four months. I was county for like four months. Yeah. When I got shipped over to the penitentiary, the penitentiary is a different story than county. Definitely. So as soon as I walk in, people that were from rival gangs seen me, yep. knew who I was, and immediately ran up on me. Like literally five minutes into Oregon State Penitentiary, you're fighting. They, they ran up. That, I didn't end up getting into a fight. Oh, that's. They cool. ran up on me, and like was like asking me like, "Oh, you you were there when someone so and so got killed?" And it just like. I kind of like ducked up because I didn't. I'm this is my first time at that at that facility. I don't know nobody there. I don't yeah. know what's going on. So I honestly was scared. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. I was I was definitely like, oh shoot, like I don't know. I yeah. got seven people running up on me, and I don't know anybody else here. So I kind of ducked off and, and and got away from the situation, and then kind of it, it actually. So at this point, I'm like. Locked in, like I'm thinking, I'm like, oh, I want to do this time with the Lord. I want to spend yeah. time with the Lord. That happened, and it pushed me all the way back. Like it just made you it. start. You had to go back to survival mode to. of like, I yeah. had to. So it felt like I was just like, I gotta, I gotta like act tough. I gotta like be this yeah. person again, even though I don't want to. So it ended up being this dynamic where, in the penitentiary, I was front line for the Crips. Like I was like on the front line with with everybody else doing everything. But when I was in my cell. I was praying. I was asking the Lord to to help me get me out yeah. of the situation and all this stuff. So it kind of played into that dynamic. So then it ended up turning into a point where they were like, you got to put in some work. Like we know that you're reputable outside, but you need to do some stuff here. Yeah. And I remember feeling like, man, I'm not about that. I ain't about to be doing that. But they kept on asking, like, hey, bro, it's time. It's about that time you got to make something happen. And I remember praying to the Lord and just like, God, I don't want to do anything. Like, help me get out of this situation. And I'm not saying that the Lord did this. I, I don't really know how this plays out because I, I don't know. But one of the guys that killed one of my friends, they actually killed my best friend, the one that I was telling that he was yeah. 14, he ended up getting transferred over to my facility. So he came into the facility, and there was no way that we were going to be in the facility at the same time. So I, I ended up taking off on him and, and getting into a fight with him and then spent the rest of my time in the hole. And that much was a blessing, and if you look yeah, at it that bro, way. Bro, it was. It was, it was, it was amazing because solitary confinement was one of the best things that could have happened to me. I was just, I've I was, heard that before. Man, I was in there, peace of mind, reading my Bible, just like locked in physically, working out yeah. you know, every day. Just like really, it was really good for me. Got out after I think I did, I did ninety days after fighting him. Yeah. Got out, and while I was standing in the line to get my clothes, one of his homeboys took off on me, and we got into a fight again. Same like the day after I got out, and so I went back and spent the rest of my time in the hole. Yeah, sometimes that's a blessing. It was a blessing because what a lot of people don't understand is. Even if you didn't put the work in that those dudes wanted you to on someone else, then you got to deal with them trying to make you. You know what I'm saying? Then you got to deal with them. Like it, that gang stuff is tough, man. Yeah, it I, is. I mean, the politics I, is crazy. The politics. Behind it. I remember when I got to prison. Um, <laughs> the I have a shaved head because I have a receding hairline, right? Not because I'm a skinhead, right? But I get to prison and the white dudes, you know, like the little Aryan type. They were like, "Hey, man." Um, so I had a Bible study that I started in Oakdale, Louisiana, and I didn't care about what race you were. I had right. black, white, Hispanic, Asian dudes. I even went as far as, I didn't even care what your case was. Like, right. I was like, this is a Bible study. Like, I don't right. feel like I can tell you you can't come to this Bible study. Right. Well, I had uh, these Aryan dudes come up and tell me, said, Man, I know you don't, they, they said, I know you don't roll with us, but you look like us, and you can't be doing this. This makes us look bad. And I was like, what? Yeah, and crazy. Yeah, and I didn't stop. And they ended up jumping on me. Um, but I fought back, and, and then they never tried to do anything again after that. I think they just wanted to see, like, what I, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And what, am I going to lay down and listen to them, or we're going to, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. But that stuff always drove me crazy about, like, taking orders from someone else who, like, yeah. it, that's tough. Yeah, I was never about that. Yeah, know? that's. I, there was a part of me that was like, I'm not doing what they're about to try to tell me to do. Yeah, like, see I'm that. Just, I'm my own man, but that's politics, though. That is politics. It's definitely tough. And in prison, I don't know if any, if you aren't familiar, prison is... Either you're either segregated by gang or you're segregated segregated by uh, by race. You know what I mean? Like a hundred percent. 
probably first race and then yeah. even throughout the races becomes the gang side of it, you know? Sure. Um, and that's pretty crazy. There's a, there's a kid that we're working with at one of the schools. I'm not going to put his name out there for him, but, uh, but it's a young, young little white kid. Right. And, uh, and he swears that he's like repping this crip, like, that, you know what I mean? That he's, um, and, and it's just kind of like from, from my experience of being locked up and, uh, and seeing that, and I've seen a white kid claiming that he was a crip. And then I saw what happened when stuff went down and I saw that he was left by himself. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, oh, yeah, now and, politics will change. And that's why I try to explain to him like, Hey bro, you need to learn how to stand on your own two feet. Like, you can't be trying to rely on something that's not going to have your back when it, when stuff hits the fan, you know? Yeah. But he's the one of the same type of kids who just lost in his identity. He he just wants to be a part of something. Yeah, yeah. He he wants to be a part of anything. And that was like, and he grew up in South Dallas. And I feel like uh, he probably had, you know, some older dudes that were real, you know, gangbanging like that, and f saw some little kid that could be a do boy. Hey man, yeah yeah yeah, you can be a crip. Go do this this and this. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? And now he's falling for that, like, yeah. you know. And it's sad, honestly. But all right, so so you get. You get right with the Lord. You do solitary confinement. You get out. Then what happens? Now we just got out of prison. So I started coaching football. That's I met, awesome. I met somebody. I met a mentor. Um, and he he brought me. He was coaching football. Seven and eight year olds. Um, so I started coaching. I coached football for two years. Uh, Still in a, Oregon? No, I, I'm out here. So okay. so when I got out of prison, the day I got out, I came out here. That's the only way you're going to get away from only all way, that stuff. Only yeah, way, man. Literally like. Left the left from being in the hole, twenty three and a half hour lockdown to being on a plane, just flying out here. Just like man, it's crazy. Did you know where your mom was out here? She yeah yeah she was okay. out here and died. she was in Irving. That's cool. So I, so I came out here, came to Irving, um, started coaching football, seven and eight year olds. Did that for two years. Met up with Nate Cobman, uh, one of yeah. my brothers, and he had a nonprofit organization. So I joined that. Um, started doing prison outreach and homeless outreach and stuff like that. Yeah, big shout out to oh, Nate Cobman too because that's where I found you was on his. You you were actually on his first episode of his podcast. Yeah, he came and did. Uh, if y'all go back on season one, maybe the beginning of season two. I'm not sure exactly which episode he came on and poured a bunch of knowledge. He's a very um, th that man special. That man, if something about relationships with him, I feel like he's got it like kind of a yeah. different type of specialization when it comes to that. When it comes to and how to treat women, which is really cool, like in a positive, in a positive light. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That that's a really so. Go back and check that episode out. Um, it, you get a lot out of that. But sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt no, you. No, no, you good. That's my brother, man. That's, yeah. that's one of my one of my best friends for sure. Yeah, he's definitely a good dude. Um, so then you come down here. Now you've been working on your relationship with God. You come down here, and are you? Do you find a church? Do you find like what's your next step? Like yeah, so I got I got plugged into a church. Um, yeah, I got plugged into a church. I started doing a lot of stuff in the community, started trying to just grow in my relationship with the Lord. I think there was a process of just like sanctification that we tried to go through. So it was like learning, learning how to like really be a Christian, yeah, not well, like do what the world does. And that's hard stuff. because then I still struggle with that though. Yeah. What was the hardest thing for you moving to a new area and trying to like? I would say. Off the bat, I would say, like, getting to a space where my trauma was no longer, like, leading me. That's good. Um, it was hard for me to, like, because prior to, like, being out in the streets, I had to watch my back all the time. Yeah. I had been in multiple shootouts. I'll be walking down the street and get shot at out of nowhere. So getting to a space where I was no longer, like, reacting to my trauma and, and just, like, actively walking in PTSD, yeah. that was probably the toughest part, for sure. Cause I'm still processing through stuff from back then, like still to this day. You so. still kind of have to look. You still look over your shoulder, even nah, they don't have to. No, nah, I don't anymore. Okay. I don't anymore. I, that's gone. I don't. I don't even think about it anymore. That's good. But there, it took like two years for me to to actually get to a space, and that was I got out of uh, prison 2012. So it's okay. been 11 years. Yeah, yeah. That's good. And then you had you get into photography, man. So that that's one thing that I that's dope that I think. I, I really wish that I could show a lot of these young cats this. There is gifts and talents that are inside of us that we have no idea. Like we spend all this time selling drugs, trying to gangbang, doing all of this foolishness. And there's things that like if we just picked up and like learned, like we would just be great at. 
You know what I'm saying? That's really good. We'd be really great at, but we get caught up on all these other things that don't really bring us nowhere in life. You yep. know what I mean? So I, I just started, I had a, one of my mentors was into graphic design. I started doing graphic design, picked it up really fast, got good at that. That led to photography. And I, I love photography, man. So that, it kind of just it just happened, bro. Just like uh, interest. And it's like, I don't want to mess with it. And I just realized, hey, I'm good at this. You just kind of taught yourself? Yeah, that, taught myself. Yeah. That's awesome. So now I lead the photography team at my church, um, do photography very often. I got a photo shoot tomorrow. You know, so it, what if someone wants to get something done in the DFW area? Um, how do they find you? Um, so Instagram, Dre Elijah Harris, and then I have a website. Uh, Spell that out for me. D R E E L I J A H H A R R I S okay. on Instagram. And then I have a website called thinkdesignnation.com. Thinkdesignnation.com. Yeah. That's dope. That's cool. And you can, like, people, you're high, for hire for, like, yeah. anything they got to yeah. do. You even do weddings and stuff if they need it? Yeah. I've never done a wedding. I'm kind of scared of a wedding, I'm speaking bro. life right that's there that, because there's big money one. in there. Yeah, there is. I haven't done a wedding. I've done a lot of, like, lifestyle stuff. And then I also do graphic design, printing, T-shirts, uh, hats, all that stuff. So. so sometimes I think that when you have a person that, especially that kind of has, like, an urban background when it comes to their work, yeah. and then you put them into a wedding environment... They come up with new types of shots and different type of stuff and rather than just the standard old-fashioned yeah, shots. Yeah, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So I think that that comes with a really cool creative side. So yeah. hopefully someone listening is going to be like, you know what? I want to try that with my wedding <laughs> and reach out. Um, one of the things that I'm really proud of you about, and especially when I found out, man, that that you're not doing it for anything but for the fact that you just feel called to do it is uh, these like coat drives and and things like that. They, what other type? You just explain kind of what you got going on with that, and what other th little things you got going on in the community. So I, I'm, I'm definitely. So I have some brothers that I mentor. So I, yeah. I, I, I stay pl plugged into that. I lead a Bible study group of men. Um, that's that's an amazing thing. It's through my church. Um, yeah. But that's that's been like one of the best communities that I've had. Um, and then the cold drive thing was just something that the Lord put on my heart. I, I realized that it's going to be a really cold winter. Um, and I just was like, man, like I, I want to make sure that, that people are warm out there. So I just was like, hey, I'm woke up. I literally had it. I had the thought while I was in bed. Woke up and was just like, man, I should do a cold drive. I should, I should do it. And I just paid somebody to create a flyer for me because I didn't feel like doing it. And just like, hey, man, I'm about to do it and to see who all comes through with it. I think know? it's awesome. We had actually when before I saw you post that about a week before that um, we started putting together a code drive, right? So I, what we're actually going to do today, and I kind of told you is uh, we've, I mean, we've got a ton of coats, bro. I've got like three or four trash bags full of, and like nice car hearts, like yeah. real, like people brought their nice stuff. They didn't just bring the trash. Yeah. So we want to donate that to y'all to, to give out, you know I what I mean? So, that, bro. so that'll be cool. Um, and it's actually like, it's nice stuff. You know what I mean? You'll be proud to pass that out. So yeah. Thank you for doing that. You're saving us some time too on the on the donation <laughs> side of it, but yeah, no, but no, cool. that's cool, and that's actually super rewarding. You know what I'm saying? Seeing, uh, I think that maybe we should uh, collaborate and kind of come up with a way to, because what really hit me hard was you were talking about like not having food, you know, at a young age, and it just made me think about how many kids in this area are dealing with that same thing. You know what I mean? So maybe there's some sort of initiative or something that we can do with that. That'd be dope. Um, I don't know if it's like a bag lunch drive or, you know what I mean? Yeah, that'd be dope, man. But that'd be really cool to like yeah. do it together somehow. I don't know how to how to play that. That'd be dope, man. But, man, uh, the last thing that I would hit on before I ask you the question that we ask everybody is, because this is really cool, uh, how did you go about, so you've gotten your record expunged. Yeah. Which is like not easy to do. How did you go about that? Yeah, man. So it, that's a crazy story because I had, so I have three felonies on my record, two um, distribution and delivery of controlled substance and the unlawful use of a firearm. So when I initially um, came out here, I had heard about expungement and stuff and I was yeah. like, man, I want to look into that. And when I went and looked into it in Oregon, you could not get delivery charges expunged. This was like in 2015. Okay. Like you couldn't get them expunged. They, they'll be on your record for the rest of your life. Yeah. But the other stuff could after seven years. So I was like reaching out to people, trying to figure out how to do this, talk to some attorneys. They're like, oh, no, you, you're stuck with this. So I was like really discouraged because 
I had went from doing all this work in the community and I started trying to find an apartment and kept hearing no. I couldn't get an apartment. I think I got my first apartment at like 33, 34 years old. Cause I, I mean, no, like 33, 32. Yeah. I couldn't get an apartment anywhere, like, like anywhere nice. Yeah. You have to try some, to manipulate, like yeah, put in someone else's name. And that's or what something. I was doing. Yeah. I was putting in other people's name, but I couldn't have something of my own in my yeah, own that, name. Even after all the changes and transformation that yeah, I did, I was still being held back by that. So it was really discouraging. So I ended up just, I keep looking into it, checking in on it and ended up, them saying that um, they will now allow you to get your record expunged even with delivery charges in Oregon. So I I ended up reaching out to an attorney. They were trying to charge me like $3,000 to do it. I ended up doing some more research and looked at I can actually apply it by myself. So I went and did all the work That's myself. That's that law library mentality. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no, nah, I'm about to do this myself. So I went and applied, man. And a year later, they, they expunged it. It got expunged... Uh, April, which is crazy. I got my release date from the last time I did my bid was April 24th, um, 2012. They expunged my record on the paper. It literally says April 23rd. That's so cool, man. I, to, I'm super jealous of that. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm happy for you. Nah, like, I'm yeah. happy for you, but I'm super jealous yeah, of that, man. man. Like, I think that would be amazing. I would love to be able to try that. I, mine is also possession with intent to distribute. We have pretty much the same charge. Right. Um, so like I can never like we were talking about earlier I can never own a firearm, yeah. even though my my felony is over it's thirteen years old right yeah. and I've done nothing I've had nothing no issues, yeah. uh, but for life I'm unable to hold a firearm and that's something that I wish that uh, they would put some effort into maybe looking into changing you know what I mean, yeah. I, and that's just something that uh, maybe I can get Meek Mill to. You know, you know, he's all into <laughs> and, that reform. And, and, you know, though, I think you could actually, if you can get a hold of some government officials yeah. and, and actually get a um, a pardon, yeah. you, you'll be able to get it. See, but, I, that's, but that's that's the extreme that it I takes. would have to have the pardon. That's yeah. the only way. Yeah. And that's really tough. I don't, I don't really know any presidents or any people that could get it. Hey, you probably got some resources, <laughs> man. There's somebody out here listening. Man, get, that would be get cool. Get my man plugged in with the right resources. <laughs> that would be cool. Let me know how I need to get that off me because that would be awesome. Um, man, you've, I don't even know if you know how much awesome information you put out so far in this podcast, man. I really appreciate you being open and vulnerable and like yeah. sharing some of the stuff that's not cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the stuff that you've been through. A lot of people, as men nowadays, a lot of us think that we got to have it figured out. We got to be tough. No, I, ain't been, I was good. I, I, I was straight. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but we, we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the sharing of our testimony. Yeah, like to me, that verse to me is, uh. It's how I try to live my life. So I'm going to be as open and vulnerable and transparent as I can. Yeah. Um, and hopefully, you know, I can help someone else who's paying attention to it. Yeah. So I think that by you sharing all the things you've been to, there's going to be people that are listening and be like, dang, me too. Yeah. Oh, me too. Yeah. You know what I mean? So the last thing I want to hit on before we sign off is uh, if there was like one piece of advice that you could give to, uh, you know, a little 16-year-old Dre or, uh, or a 16-year-old kid in our mentorship program that's living with the same life experience, you know, life situations that you went through at 16, yeah. uh, what would you tell yourself or tell that kid? I, mean, I would say, I would say a lot. I would definitely say that you're worth it, that you're worth fighting for, that you're worth living for, that you're worth, like, not throwing your life away. You know, a, lot, a lot of times we, I think we're, we're, we get stuck in those positions where we don't know what our identity is, so we also don't know what our worth is. Mm. You know what I mean? And it's like, yo, there is a worth. There is a value. There is a God-given gift. You are not just a, a number. You are not just a, a person on this earth that ain't worth anything. Um, so just know that that you are loved. Know that you are cared for. Know that, that there is intentionality in your design, that God mm. created you with that purpose and, so and that in mind. And that you're worth more than what you think you are. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of us have that experience of being told that we'll never be nothing, we'll never amount to nothing, yeah. that we're not worth nothing, we'll be dead or in jail. And it's like, nah, bro, you have the the choice that you can make to change that. You can turn your life around, you know, especially with the Lord. But so even if even if you don't believe in God 
and you really want to do good, you can do you can turn your life around. You can you can be a better person on this earth, you know. You don't have to fall susceptible to all those things. And there's no there's no real value in the things that the world tries to push on us. Yeah. Like it's not really when you, once you get older and you recognize all my friends are dead, all my friends are strung out doing drugs and just all on all this negative stuff and you look back and you see where your life's at, you're going to look back and be like, "Dang, man, why didn't I change?" And it's like you're in a position right now to make that decision. And you still can, right? You That's can so right good. now. Because if you think about it, all the people that even, I know so many people right now that got all those things that we think that we want to pursue, the money, the girls, the, and they're still miserable. Yeah, man. They're still miserable because they have no foundation in the Lord, bro. Like they have no peace. They need more money or more women or more drugs or more alcohol or more, you know what I mean? They have no peace. So that's awesome advice, man. Because these kids, I think that that's one of the reasons they're so willing to get into this knucklehead stuff is because they don't realize how valuable they are and what they're worth, man. Yeah. And that's such. And you can. And the crazy thing is, your value actually goes up when you're starting to do positive stuff. Big time. It's like, bro, there's there's not too many people that are millionaires off of drug money. No, like, like it's not. not well, it, no, you know what I'm saying? I've never met nobody. I've never all met the anybody. all the like, even in prison. Like I've met a lot of people. Ain't none of them actually been successful. No. And then even if they are for a little while, they always end up getting caught. In all of jail. them. So it's like you can invest, be become an uh, IT person, become do something else, and I guarantee you, you will live a far successful That's so life. So good, and way I way better. We talked about that even before, and I even have it written down, and and almost skipped over it. But like, get a job. And be loyal to that job yeah, yeah. and watch what can happen. Like, I know, like you were talking about, you got into IT and now you've just moved up and advanced through your career yeah. just by staying loyal and learning your trade, right? Yeah, yeah. I know a lady that started as a cashier at Walmart when she was 16 years old. Now she's like an executive director making yeah. bank, travels all over the world, yeah. opens up Walmarts, and she has zero education past yeah, just being loyal to Walmart. Yeah, man. Like, and if you're 16 years old, you got 10 years to where, you know where you could be in 10 years, oh. but you start you know, investing right now uh, in yourself, start, right? start saving money towards your retirement. A couple dollars. And you want to be worried about, man, that's so you, good. You're going to be set up. That's you're so good. Set up. Yeah, man. There's, there's so much more that we could do. That's awesome, man. I'm excited to drop this episode, man. For, so thank you again for being here. Yes, um, we're going to link up and do something in the future yeah. for sure. And uh, if you're listening, y'all remember that you're loved and you're forgiven and there ain't nothing you can do about it. Peace.